Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, November 15th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're digging into the latest earnings reports for SoFi, Boston Omaha, and Marquetta. Joining me this week, as is often the case, he's back from Vegas as certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, welcome back. Hey, Jason. I got back and I feel like winter started all of a sudden here. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it went from like the 80s to 50s. Yeah, yeah, I imagine there's a bit of a uh, a bit of a bit of a difference there coming coming back from out west. Uh, real quickly, any any anything stand out for you in the trip? I know you were you were uh, interviewing some folks and digging more into real estate while you're out there. Uh, any anything anything you feel like our listeners uh, should 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 know? Yeah, I got to uh, sit down with EXP Realty CEO. Um, it was a really fun conversation. The first in-person interview I've done since COVID started. So that was, <laughs> it was kind of weird actually being in a room with somebody. Um, but it was a really interesting conversation. We talked, he let me ask about iBuying and stuff like that. Cause you know, they're a traditional brokerage um, and uh, get his thoughts on where that industry is going. And I'm, I got an article coming up about it, but um, generally speaking, he says he, he's very bullish on the traditional brokerage model um, and says that, you know, I buying might get to say ten percent of the market at some point, but that leaves ninety percent. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that makes sense. I mean, I buying is going to be something that I think is is good for the market in general. It's going to be a nice feature, but I mean, I don't think that's the direction that real estate ultimately uh, fully commits to. So, so those those are interesting comments. We'll look forward to that uh, article you have coming out and. Um, yeah, definitely keep an eye on that iBuying space, particularly given that recent Zillow news that Matt was just such a big fan of. <laughs> but I digress. I digress. <laughs> Matt, let's dig into some earnings reports here. We are wrapping up earnings season, and last week we had uh, a few more companies that are that are a part of our universe report. We'll start with SoFi. Uh, it, it's been a pretty good year for SoFi so far. Stock is up, I think, think 12 13% or something like that, uh, outpacing the market. Still a relatively new uh, issue to the public markets, but I know this is a business that you like and, and you own shares of it, I believe. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about the quarter. What stood out to you uh, that, that made this a good one for SoFi? Well, it's funny as you go on in earnings season, like the, the longer it goes, the more growthier the companies get. Um, you know, you start out with kind of the big banks, then you get into the the regional banks, then you get into the fintechs, then you get into the really new fintechs, and that's like kind of where we're at finale. right now. It's, yeah, it's yeah, like the grand finale it's, of, a, of a fireworks show, right? You just you're always waiting for that last that big bang. <laughs> they save the more exciting ones for last, and that's definitely what we saw here. Um, so far, I mean, the numbers look fantastic. The the stock reacted appropriately, um, but. 2.9 million members. That's almost double what it had a year ago, 96% year-over-year growth. It added 377,000 members in the third quarter alone. And if you remember what we said last time we were on the show and talking about SoFi, the key is being able to sell cross-sell products because SoFi's average member has something like 1.5 products with the company, maybe like a personal loan and and some might have like a credit card or something like that. Um, so products grew at 108% year over year. So products are growing faster than the member base, which indicates that they are doing a really good job of cross-selling products. And they announced one real interesting tidbit 
is most of their growth is being fueled by just a few of their products. So they said between SoFi Money, um, which is kind of the bank account replacement, SoFi Invest, which is their brokerage business, and their new credit card, which is very new and uh, the smallest of those three products I just mentioned, drove 79% of their new membership base between just those three products. And 73% of their cross-selling came from those three products. Um, financial services products, including those three, grew by 178, or 179% year over year. Um, so the lending, the core lending business is doing well. They did $3.4 billion in loan volume between home loans, personal loans, and student loans, which remember they started as a student loan refinancing company. But the, the financial services is the, is the big story here. You know, this is it, it is fascinating to think about how this business has evolved in, in what seems like a very short amount of time. Um, it, I mean, it, it is a it, you know, it's 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 true financials, a holistic solution. It sounds like it's really becoming. Uh, we talk a lot about the the environment for banks, right? When interest rates start to creep back up, and it feels like we are obviously headed in that direction. Uh, the pace, I guess, is is yet to be yet to be determined. But but regardless, how do you feel like you know, we talk about how banks typically should benefit from those rising rates and being able to generate a little bit more on that net in, net interest income um, line item there? How does a how does SoFi? How do you feel like SoFi benefits from those same types of tailwinds, or is it really all about products for this company? Well, they do. They're right now. They are their lending business is a big portion of it still. I mean, I said three point four billion dollars in loan volume, and SoFi's loans are you know personal loans are typically in the six to ten percent interest rate range. These are these are higher interest loans for the most part. That and that's where the biggest part of their lending business is. So they do generally benefit when interest rates rise. Not like a one to one relationship, um, like a lot of bank loans. But it's definitely a big growth driver if interest rates rise. But right now, the big story there is the is the growth in products. I mean, if you're growing your your bank account customers and your investing customers by 180 percent year over year, you know, the, a small interest rate increase is kind of a footnote at that point. But their their priority right now is building up the business and then eventually just sitting and coasting with Alan on. On the the interest income and and fee income that that they're generating, but right now they're in all out growth mode, so interest rates are more of a a secondary concern. Earnings also out for Boston Omaha here last week, Matt, and Boston Omaha kind of treading water this year. Uh, stock up a few few percentage points, so so uh, nothing too crazy one way or the other. But this is a business we we talk a lot about uh, on this show and in our foolish universe. And I know it's another one of those businesses that you like a lot. Uh, seems to be something built uh, at least somewhat in that Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, mold and it, it seems like it's working it seemed like it was seems like it was another uneventful if if not a good quarter yeah i mean it's uneventful by design i guess you would call it uh boston omaha just had its uh annual meeting this past weekend they do kind of a berkshire style annual meeting it's obviously not to that same scale yet but it's in omaha they you know rent out an auditorium just kind of like Warren buffett and charlie munger do every year and that's buffett's um, nephew right it's his great nephew. It's great it's his, nephew. Okay. It's I think his sister's um, grandson, I believe. Um, if that, yeah, that would make great nephew. 
but, now, uh, I'm, now you've got me going like the space balls and dark helmet. But, I am so, your father's brother's but, uncle's cousin's nephew's former roommate. So Warren Buffett has no involvement with Boston Omaha on any official level. I will, you know, go, go ahead and say that. But it's definitely modeled after Berkshire Hathaway. Um, very early stage. Uh, I, I wanted to get to their meeting this past weekend, but I didn't. I can't go Vegas and then Omaha back to back, and you know, I can't do all that. <laughs> I want to go home at some point. Um, but the billboard rentals are still the majority of their business, which is important for all investors to know. That's more than half of their revenue comes from the billboard business. That was up 13% year over year, rebounding nicely from the the pandemic when a lot of companies stopped advertising much, that much. Um, the uh, broadband revenue is the fastest growing part of its business. That more than tripled year over year, but that was acquisition fueled, not necessarily uh, organic growth within the business. They acquired some big uh, wireless provider or not wireless uh, fiber opt- fiber network providers. Um, on the bottom line, they posted a eighty nine cent earnings per share loss, but it wasn't very meaningful. If you remember with Berkshire, we say that their earnings per share isn't meaningful because it reflects the unrealized gains in their stock portfolio. Same thing applies here. They recorded a $33.7 million loss, in quotes, from from investments. And this, for first of all, for a, a company that's barely cracked a billion dollars in market cap, that's a big loss. But that's because the uh, their biggest stock position is DreamFinders Homes, by far, that went public. And that stock declined significantly. Um, but... They didn't sell. It's not a realized gain. It's an unrealized gain in their investment for- portfolio. So the EPS number really isn't that meaningful. Uh, book value, which they consider to be their biggest barometer of growth, it's not a perfect metric, but it shows how well they're growing intrinsic value over time. That grew 22% year over year. So nice book value growth. And um, I'll end with just a couple of things to watch with Boston Omaha before you, um, you can ask me whatever you want about it. Uh, hopefully I'll know the answer. They make it tough. They're, they they just issue a 10Q. They don't really go through earnings highlights. But uh, two things, their they're, uh, SPAC is merging with Sky Harbor still. That's still pending. Uh, that's something to watch in the fourth quarter. Um, they're investing. That's going to be their biggest investment to date when um, when that goes through. Um, and they the most interesting tidbit I was able to find in their 10Q They've acquired some land in Nevada. They didn't say how much. They didn't say where exactly. They plan to start a fourth business, a built-to-rent home business, where they build townhomes or, or single-family homes for the specific purpose of owning them on their balance sheet and renting them out, kind of like a real estate investment. Um, and they just mentioned that like as a footnote in their 10Q um, in typical Boston Omaha style. But that that I'm excited about that part of the business. <laughs> they make you work for it, huh? Yes, that's, they do. <laughs> that's was- really interesting, I mean, particularly when you consider, I mean, the, given the housing shortage, right? I mean, I think we can all agree that's that's an issue right now. We have a housing shortage. We got a lot of catching up to do. Um, it, it really does feel like, I mean, that that's a risky, a riskier bet, so to speak, getting so, so heavy into real estate like that and having that on your balance sheet. But generally speaking, over the long haul, real estate's a, a good investment, and it feels like that's something with a lot of potential. Yeah, it's 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 interesting just because the housing market's kind of going crazy lately, but the the rental market, everyone always talks about it on the home affordability side, but the rental market is also kind of going through the roof, especially in some of these Sunbelt markets like Nevada, um, where rent is going, there, there's just a, fair, a big shortage of rental properties. 
They have a great relationship with a home builder. I mentioned DreamFinders Homes is their biggest investment. They're a big stakeholder in there. So they have good relationships there. They have the fin- the financial backing to do it. Um, so it would be interesting to see if they, they can successfully build some homes for the purpose of renting and, and actually earn a nice return on them. Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine, too, I mean, given, the, given that the business is primarily – focused on billboards today, I mean, I, I have to believe their longer-term goal is to, is to make, you want that reliance to just continue to come down. I mean, I, I would I assume over time, it's to be a much more diversified uh, business cumber, uh, covering a num- number of different areas and that billboard revenue, while maybe it could continue to grow, it becomes less and less a, a pivotal part of the business. Yeah. I mean, Berkshire has over 60 businesses right now and at one point was essentially an insurance company. So, and the plan was to incrementally add businesses over time wherever um, Warren Buffett saw the best opportunities. And that's kind of what they're doing now. It's it's kind of like a strike while the iron's hot type thing, I feel like, with the, the build to rent thing that they're doing. And with the, the broadband, which is where they're spending most of their growth capital these days. Um, it's just kind of like, you know, they, they go where the, where the needs, where there's needs to be met. And, and it seems like it's paying off so far. Well, speaking of paying off, Matt, that's a nice segue into our final company for the week, uh, Marketa, a company we haven't really talked about a whole lot on this show to date because it's still so new to the public market. Uh, recent IPO, but a another really um, interesting business. They they are in, in card issuing and processing, and really focused on uh, being the the modern day card issuer. Ultimately, helping customers like Square, Affirm, DoorDash, Instacart uh, create customized payment card uh, programs for for their for their businesses. Uh, this, this is a business I own shares of Marketa myself. It's, it's one that I, I, I think really plays into that whole idea of, uh, of expanding digital payments. Um, it, it, it does feel like there's a lot of potential here, but they, they certainly need to, to prove themselves. Uh, in, in this, this past quarter, it looked to me like they, they took another step in that direction. Did you see who their newest big customer was in, in the last quarter? It's one of your favorites also. I, I did. I did. Another favorite of ours here on the show, Bill.com. When we saw that headline, I, I got to admit, I, I got a little bit excited there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of possibilities. I think right now they're just kind of um, they're using it to issue debit cards, I think, to to some of their customers. To, yeah, but there's a lot of different adjacent opportunities with Bill.com that they could pursue. Um so one thing people need to know, there's a this is a big, a high volume business. Um, annualized payment volume uh, surpassed 100 billion in this quarter. It had 27.6 billion dollars in payment volume on their cards. Um, that's up 60 percent year over year. Now, granted, it's not the best comparison to the the third quarter of 2020 when the pandemic still had most things shut down. Um, but on that, they made they generated 132 million dollars of revenue, so not a high margin business. Um, they make I think I it it works out to something like 0.5 percent of their transaction volume is revenue. Um, you know that's kind of what these credit these payment networks do. They just kind of like you know take a little bit of revenue off off of each transaction. Um, they're still losing money. They're not a profitable business, so that's important for people to know. Um, on a a non-adjusted basis, they, like I said, they did 132 million in revenue. They lost about 46 million dollars, so that's a profit margin of something to the effect of negative 30 <laughs> percent. Um, so on the surface, that sounds terrible. 
<laughs> but when you're a payment processing business growing at 60% year over year, yeah, and, and signing up clients like Bill.com, Uber, Square, they expanded their relationship with Uber recently, um, DoorDash. When you're signing up clients like that, which all have big addressable growth markets, by the way, and their their relationship will grow as the companies do. You know, I mean, if Square 10x is its payment volume, its relationship with with Marquette is going to 10x um, essentially. So when you're signing up customers like that, and you're still growing your customer base that fast. It's not that much of a concern. One other thing that did stand out to me in Marquette's report is their international growth. Um, in Europe, their uh, transaction transactions grew three hundred forty percent year over year. So the international growth is impressive. If they've gotten to where they are so far with mostly domestic growth um, and are now just getting into that, you know, the rapid growth phase internationally, that's something to watch too. Uh, but you're a shareholder, so um, I'm curious as to what you what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was a good quarter. I mean, as you mentioned, the payment volume that goes through, I mean, this is a business that generally, I mean, they, they as you said, as their customers succeed, they succeed. They have a usage-based model that's, that's based on that processing volume. And, and ultimately, the more that goes through their, their network, uh, the better their customers do, the better they do. Um, and, and that is primarily, they, they get the majority of their revenue from those interchange fees. Um, so, so a very familiar model from that perspective. I mean, I, I feel like this is a business that is, is helping to accommodate a lot of, of new ways that we are doing business today. Right. I mean, with the, 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 with with the advent of the mobile economy and everything everything that we're doing on our phones, I mean, it's it's not just your physical cards anymore. I mean, it's, this is Marquette is able to go physical, virtual, tokenized. I mean, they're dad they're they're getting uh, a foot in the the crypto door. Um, you mentioned earlier the the focus on debit, but now they are moving into a focus on credit as well. Big relationship with Mastercard, uh, all very encouraging. And then when you look at when you look at the market opportunity, I mean, clearly we talk about it all the time. There's just trillions and trillions of dollars uh, moving around the world on these on these networks, and, and so getting just a little piece of that can be very meaningful. And, and to that point, there, uh, you know, they even note that your monitor projects that electronic payments are going to represent 46% of total global transaction volume by 2025 which would be up from 31% in 2017. And so that 46%, actually, when you think about it, that it's like, man, that seems actually kind of low because who in the world is using all this paper, right? This cash and this paper. But the fact of the matter is, around the world, uh, it's, it's, still, it's still very much a you know, normal way of doing business. So, I mean, yeah, to me, this is, this is a founder-led business with, with a very passionate founder, I might add. Um, and, and, and so I think there's a lot of potential there. I think it, the one real red flag that a lot of investors uh, noted early on uh, was the reliance on Square, it, it, the majority of revenue being generated from its relationship with Square. That continues to come down. Um, I'm not so concerned with that regardless because Square is so pervasive. It's everywhere. So, I mean, that's actually a good thing. Um, I think the longer that companies rely on the, the products and services that a company like Marquetta offers, uh, the longer they're going to stick with them, right? I think it's it's a sticky business over time. So for me, uh, yeah, valuation is always going to look a little bit wonky with some of these some of these newfangled uh, IPOs. But uh, to me, to me, Marquetta seems like it's it's onto something onto something special. Yeah, well said. It's a really interesting company and a kind of a very niche player, but with a big niche to fill. Yeah. 
Yep. Well, I think we can leave it there, uh, Matt. That'll do it for us this week. So uh, really appreciate you digging into these reports and uh, taking the time uh, to to jump on with us. Sure thing. I think this was kind of the tail end of earnings season, so we'll have to think of something non-earnings to talk about for next week. Well, you know, I was thinking maybe what we could do, because I was looking back, and you mentioned Bill.com, so I had to look back at when we actually published that uh, episode of, of the two stocks that we were going to buy. Remember, I bought Bill.com and you went with Lemonade. We should do a show to kind of revisit those. And uh, it, it will revisit those two companies and, and sort of give our listeners a, an update on how the businesses are doing. So maybe we'll do that next week. I like that. Lemonade's got a lot going on. All right. Sounds good. Well, remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Music